Welcome to the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium podcast, a podcast about this nursing life. I'm Nicole Nash-Arnold from Nurse Manager HQ. And I'm Sue Walker from the Nursing CPD Institute. And together each week, we seek out interesting people to discover what a red-hot nursing life looks like. Today I welcome to this Nursing Life microphone is Rebecca East. Rebecca is the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian College of Perioperative Nurses. As listeners of this podcast know my heartland. Rebecca is not only a highly experienced and qualified perioperative nurse, having worked in the area for many years with postgraduate qualifications in perioperative nursing, Rebecca has taken her world that one step further. She completed her Master's in Nursing practice in 2013 and has practiced as a nurse practitioner since 2014. She runs two private orthopaedic and sports injury practices in central Victoria and provides a surgical assisting role with her business partner and colleague orthopaedic surgeon, Mr Glenn Boyce. Rebecca, this is fortuitous timing, as it was only last week that I met with Leanne Bose, who's the, the president of the Australian College of Nurse Practitioners. So I'm dying to get into that side of it with you. But first, tell me about your perioperative journey. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. My journey in periop actually began in my third year of my undergraduate degree at Bowen Health in Geelong, where I spent my last rotation kindly with the amazing team down there in the perioperative suite. And I just fell in love with periop all all over. (laughs) And I then uh, was really lucky to be granted a a graduate year at Epworth in Richmond, where I started off, I was unsuccessful for a perioperative placement in my grad year, but was lucky enough to have a grade two year one um, program that was going to facilitate me through the general surgical ward first and then the second six months was at the perioperative space. However, I actually I had a workplace injury and uh, ruptured some discs in my back and then was not able to work clinically for quite a few years. But I didn't let it kind of stop me there. At that stage, the Edworth were developing their first nurse-led pre-admission space. So I started back in that space where I actually started to get the patients ready for their admissions prior to the perioperative space. And then managed that for a number of years until I decided to have a baby. And I actually moved back into central Victoria after that, having a typical thing of having a baby and wanted to come home to my family. So I was lucky enough to be employed at the perioperative suite in Atuka Regional Hospital and started my postgrad nursing career there. And that quickly, slowly grew to nursing. It was going to be a grad cert of postgrad in periop and all of a sudden became double masters of nursing practice and nurse practitioner and I did that in three years. So here I am now today after all those years. But yeah, I was really lucky I was taught in all rounds of periop. So I'm an all-rounder and I'm grateful for that because I, I genuinely believe that's made put me in good stead for the, the work that I do currently now. Mm. How good is being a theatre nurse? I mean, I like you pretty much when I uh, pulled on the jammies thought, no, that's it, not yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And couldn't agree. I have absolutely loved my years as a perioperative nurse. It's surprisingly collegial. It's incredibly challenging. It's bloody stressful at mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And the knowledge required is really quite profoundly vast. 
Yeah. What do you love about perioperative nursing? Oh, God. Look, all of that and more. I love the team. I actually really like the hands-on. And I think as I've grown into the assisting role, I genuinely even love it more. But I genuinely love the care and that vulnerability that those patients have at that stage. But I also love the technical side of things and thinking about the human anatomy completely different to what I believe a nurse on the ward would. And I love that we can care for our patients at that time where no one else is able to do that. Um, I think that's a true nursing asset, but just the clinical side of things, but that camaraderie behind those closed doors that we actually, as my role as CEO, we kind of hear about that segregated area of the periop world. But in fact, I actually love it. I think we're very, very close. And I was really, in all of the teams that I've worked with, um, they've all been very welcoming and supportive. And, and it's like your, your theatre team. Um, I think all of my, the nurses listening to that would agree that we all have our our um, families, but I genuinely feel that periop is a real we have to look at look after patients at their in some spaces significant critical times, um, yeah. and we join together and you know that thought process of all the other rubbish that we have, we deal with every day yeah. um, goes, and we're there as a team and we get on with it and we support that patient. So that's what I love about it. Yeah, me too. There are those that view perioperative nursing in a way that isn't quite representative of what we do. The classic is that we can't deal with talking to patients. Mm. And if I'm honest, there are times (laughs) when I moved into emergency, I did pine for the time that they were suitably intubated. But also the view of a bit of a handmaiden affair, like don't you just hand the guy a scalpel and stuff. Mm. And I kind of have a view in my view that there's no greater opportunity to advocate for our patient than when they find themselves handing totally everything, their consciousness and human existence over to us. But how do you respond to those sorts of questions about that perioperative nursing role? Oh, it's it's so far deeper than handing handing an instrument. As I said to you before, the you have to understand the knowledge. Um, I was very lucky that I was drilled in very much about the, you know, it's not, don't give them what they ask for, give them what they need. <laughs> um, and that you really do genuinely have to anticipate what's next. And even to this day, it's not just about the clinical skills, it's about the caring factor. And it's the simple things like wiping the patient's stomach with the betadine prep after we've dressed them and um, before they're on the table. And it, there is a significant amount of care. It's not just about, as you say, you know, handing an instrument or cleaning an instrument in between. So it gets my gripe because I really don't believe that we are really showcased as well as we could be. And we are very technical based. And there's a part of that, as I said before, I love. But there's also a part that almost denigrates us and it was, we just hand an instrument and away we go. It's complete and, we, you know, we make sure we've counted everything. It's deeper than that. It really is far deeper than that. Yeah. As I alluded to earlier, we spoke to Leanne Bose from mm. the ACNP last week and explored the wonders and the mysteries of NP land. Mm. Leanne and I talked about how NPs can be rural and remote and emergency and primary care, big role in diabetes. Yep. But here you are as a perioperative nurse functioning in the role of the MP. Yeah. So tell me about that role and what you do and how it differs. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, um, and I don't actually really like to refer it to this, but I actually don't really, I find it difficult to articulate it any other way. But essentially my role is very much like a private registrar. 
So mm. I not only do I assist the surgeon to facilitate, uh, I guess, all of the care that we provide all the patients that attend our private clinics, but I also triage any referrals that come through. We also, I'm a primary assessor, so we get quite often a lot of sports injuries on a, on a Monday. Even over the weekend, we take calls that if they've got a suspected ACL, we'll facilitate as much as we can to get their imaging and to get a scene and to reassure them that I love seeing people at that very critical part where, oh God, I've had a sports injury or I've fallen off the horse or you know, I've got a, a mum who's got a fractured neck of femur after falling over. And I genuinely am very passionate about providing that first initial assessment and that education and that care around that journey. So I do a lot of pre-admission and pre-assessments and primary assessments. And then if they either facilitate their care with surgical assisting, if they need surgical procedure, but I also do surgical workups for all of our elective patients. So I'm, we run our own pre-admission clinic and essentially they get a physicianal review just by me. And then if I need to escalate their care to a renal specialist or a diabetes educator, as you were saying, I do that too. Mm. And then mm. I look after everyone post-op and I call our two-week uh wound checks, not only wound checks, but the two-week wound and wellbeing checks because that is such a pivotal time for our patients post-op. And I didn't mm. understand the ramifications as a periop nurse, um, the ramifications for the work that we did in that theatre significantly impact that patient post-op. And it's been so enlightening, sometimes saddening, but sometimes joyous because uh, you hear them talk about the team that we work with every week, but you also hear about the frustrations that we, as the community have for some of the issues that we have within the nursing community politically. So, yeah, I love that two-week check. And a lot of the time that two-week check is also around if there's going to be an issue post-op, we generally can kind of spot it and find it there and negate that. And then, as I said, I see patients all the way through their post-op surgical journey until we discharge them out of the clinic. But I also, from another level, manage everyone um, conservatively as well. So a 55-year-old female who's got some moderate OA who we try and really conservatively manage till we have to really put a, a knee replacement in. The knee replacements are not be-all and end-all. They restrict you and we genuinely won't operate on people that we think that we can be managed differently until such time as we then need to operate. So I've got a huge, vast role, but I love it. I genuinely love it. It is enormous. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's great. Yeah. So this is a cheeky question, but I know our listeners are wondering about (laughs) it, but (laughs) how is the perioperative nurse practitioner role funded? Yeah, it's not a cheeky question. In fact, I get it quite often and I'm very happy to answer it. My model is a two-pronged approach. I get funding from the Medicare model that nurse practitioners are able to access through the item numbers, and I also get fee-for-service from the surgeon, so I get paid a subcontracting wage through him as well. So I'm really lucky that any work that I do, both roles or both options are covered. I'm like a fellow, so a surge, if a surgeon's got a fellow under them, They get remunerated for their assisting work, but the fellows don't get remunerated for their consulting work. So from a surgeon's perspective, they actually don't find us any different because what they get 
from one, they get from the other yeah. in the different roles. So, yeah, no, I don't have a problem with speaking about it. It's, mm. it's really important um, for nurses who are interested in the role to actually make sure that they're going to be remunerated. To be there yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So as we move to a world, a world of a nursing shortage with an ageing population compounded by chronic disease and a workforce that will be approaching retirement in a decade, I have a disconcerting worry about perioperative nurses because I know in other countries we've seen them replaced mm. by technicians. Mm. And ultimately where organisations are going to be forced to do more with less yep. when, when there's workforce shortage, what challenges do you foresee for our beloved specialty? I probably would have been more scared about this before I was CEO than I was now. I mm. think particularly with ACORN, ANSCAR are also got our back and from the brief conversations as a CEO with RACS, I have been really lucky to be reassured, I suppose, that our colleagues still see perioperative nurses as very valuable members of the team. And in fact, they actually want us there at the table. There is some space for that. So, yeah, I, I think there's definitely room for technicians, but I, I certainly don't have any concerns about perioperative nursing in the near future at all. And in fact, as part of our strategic plan at ACORN, we will be providing that big advocacy voice for our perioperative nurses and to be at the table for the, you know, the world of good of perioperative nursing. So, yeah. Yes, um, yes, there's it's big consideration for ACORN. If our members are listening right now, I would wholeheartedly say we've got their back and that I can rest assured that our colleges and our, our colleagues from the surgeons and the anaesthetists are really, they do have our back and they really want us at mm. the table. And I've been blown away by the support, particularly in this recent COVID-19 mm. arena. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, we're at the table and um, everyone's going to need surgery, mm. uh, particularly now more than ever as elective surgery across the nation and across the globe slows, even not stops. Mm. Yeah, we're going to be needed more than ever. So, yeah, I have, I have yeah. no doubt we'll be, we'll be at the table and ACORN will continue to advocate for us nurses. Rebecca, there are many nurses who are listening right now who have tinkered with the idea of transitioning into peri-op nursing. What sort of transition programs are there out there, say, for the 40-year-old nurse who's been a med surge for 20 years but wants to try her hand at theatre? Mm, yeah, it's actually a really good question and we get it a lot at the college. Unfortunately, Nick, I'd love to say there's bucket loads of opportunities, <laughs> but there's not either in the undergrad section or, as you said, a 40-year-old um, nurse who's, who's been in med surge for a number of years and wants to get in there. It is difficult. We um, significantly identify that here at ACORN. And we are working on actually currently working on some platforms where we will actually be able to educate these type of nurses to in and transition them into the perioperative space because I know that they're out mm. there. I know that they want to get mm. in. There is a couple of intro programs across the nation that are currently being held. I know that the Victorian Perioperative Nurses Group, our Victorian counterpart, are running um, some fabulous intro programs, both clinically based and lecture based. And we're currently in discussions with Victoria about how we roll that out over the nation with an online platform and then some clinical programs within each state. So yeah, watch this space. But at this stage, yeah, ACORN certainly recognise that 
we don't have anything that much. But I always, in anyone who's interested in getting into a specialty, I significantly encourage them to join their local association. We are federated models, so they need to join their local association. So for me, it was Victoria. And that instantly gave me a um, membership to ACORN, the National College. And then you attend those clinical days or those study days there. You come to our conference, which sadly was cancelled, but um, get involved and get as much exposure to periop. And if you've got a local nurse unit manager for that perioperative suite that's interested, then I'm a big believer in, in knocking on their doors and saying, what is it that I can do to get in there and get the experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this stage, not great transition programs, but ACORN is working on that at this stage. Yeah. I took a little look at the ACORN strategic plan and noticed your beautifully articulated vision. <laughs> When our work is done, Australians receive quality, safe quality perioperative nursing care. Yeah. And I think that is a wonderfully packaged way of explaining what a perioperative nurse does. Mm. We hold that line between safety and quality in what is an incredibly dangerous trajectory in a patient's continuum of care. I mean, the risks into the patient in our environment are really unusually extraordinary. They're receiving Mm. the challenge of drugs they've never encountered and invasive surgery when they're really not well enough often, mm-hmm. particularly as they get old in a time when they're unconscious and relying on us to do everything to prevent an injury or an accident that might befall them. Those risks are plenty from the time they arrive at our flappy doors <laughs> at pre-op <Yep. laughs> to the ward nurse that comes and collects. How do you see ACORN's role in protecting the perioperative patients at that whole different level? Yeah, well, it's it's a really um, valid consideration. How, how as a professional organisation, do are we able to influence that safe and, and quality care? And I think essentially what comes to mind is our ACORN standards. Um, the 16th edition is currently in its final drafts and will be launched. And that is how we can ensure that our perioperative nurses are actually adhering to the standards and that they're providing that clear, delineated, evidence-based practice every day to, as you say, those compromised patients, but to those patients who we quite often the case that you think those patients that are coming through the door and they've got no comorbidities and they're in their mid-20s and they're going to have no complications whatsoever are the ones that actually <laughs> spring spring something. Go south. Yeah, correct. Mm. Um, but genuinely this year have la- launched our uh, roadmap to recognition for our ACORN stand and uh, we're investing in our standards and really trying to escalate the profile of our standards so that every single nurse unit manager, every single director of nursing, CEO and frontline perioperative nurse understands that if you are to adhere to these standards that your patients will receive safe and quality care and their surgical journey will be as smooth as it should be for every patient, of course, considering their comorbidities, as you mentioned earlier. And this roadmap to recognition is really, as I said, about that recognition, but also about getting that political leverage to support our perioperative nurses at the coalface. Because we hear from our members every day, you know, I'll go into the theatre and I slap the book down or I say, look, read this standard that says we can't, we've got to do our count this way rather than that way. And a lot of the times they get thrown back to say, well, you know, (laughs) it's only a guideline. And we don't want our nurses and our members to feel that way. 
So mm. we're investing in this really large project, which you can find all of the information at our website. And we've got some phenomenal <laughs> leaders on that national leadership group who will be leading that project on ACORN's behalf. And uh, we're very lucky to have Deb Toms, our um, ex or past immediate past um, Commonwealth Chief Nurse and Midwife Officer. So she's leading that, which is fantastic. And that's where we hope that we can actually um, protect our patients and also support our members and and perioperative nursing community full stop. So yeah, that's it's pretty exciting. It's amazing work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rebecca, based on all your experience as a perioperative nurse and as an MP in that world, what is it that you wish all nurses and midwives knew so that they can live their best nursing life? I think if I could give one, and which I try to nearly every time that I speak, but nothing ever stops with you. It all actually, in fact, starts with you. It doesn't matter whether you're a novice periop nurse who has just started as a graduate in that space or whether, like me, has had you know, a reasonable amount of experience both in the political and organisational and, you know, periop community. Um, but also I was still down there in the coal fakes looking after patients. I think nothing is unachievable. If you had have asked me 10 years ago, would you be and then where will you sit? I could nearly guarantee that this is not where I would have been. And I've just taken every opportunity of Really, particularly in the recent climate, I've really understood that I have to look after myself before I can look after anyone else. And that goes for both in my life and in my professional space. As a nurse, we have to. We care every day for everyone else, but I think we really don't care for ourselves. So always of the opinion, have a go, have a voice, get involved, be strong with your voice, but also take care of you because if you burn out, There is no one to care for our patients. And as we're seeing in our current climate, it is the year of the nurse, but it's the year of the nurse and it's the year of COVID-19. And uh, well and truly now is the biggest opportunity for us to have a voice and to show our strengths and our wonderful profession that we have. So I just take any opportunity they can and, and look after yourself throughout the process. And have fun. <laughs> you know, I've got yeah, a wonderful absolutely. family that I've of Acorn family. I have a wonderful practice with fantastic team of receptionists and colleagues. And I also have a phenomenal teams where I walk into theatres every week and just like I've never gone. So mm-hmm. embrace that and have fun together. Rebecca, thanks so much for being our guest. And now it is, of course, in the very beginning when we record this at the COVID-19 Australian (laughs) shutdown. Mm. So we're all learning some lessons about how to live with home, uh, how to work from home (laughs) and the challenges that come with that. So you've done an amazing job. Thank you. Um, So then sharing everything that you know and you've experienced about you and ACORN and how it advocates for bettering the world of nurses and midwives, it's fab. No, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. And yes, lots of love to all of our colleagues out there. I have no doubt the challenges, you know, I've had a week of of operating myself and it was very evident to me on Monday how teams are going and I feel like I'm able to really be an advocate for our members because I get to experience those opportunities and those conversations with our members at the coalface. So yes, it is difficult, but hang in there and um, thanks for, for giving 
giving um, myself and Acorn a voice. We're all very passionate about launching our organisation to the next level and being those advocates and, and being at the table. So really exciting yeah, times. Absolutely. Thanks, no, Rebecca. Thanks, Nick. Bye. Sue Walker, welcome to my world of perioperative nursing, sister. What a wonderful and interesting world that appears to be. It is actually really, really fun. Obviously, most of my professional life the last 25 years have been spent in the rooms of the operating theatres, mainly in Queensland, of course. But it is a very fun place to be. I love it. It's never been an area that I've worked in post Graduately. So mm. I actually smiled to myself when uh, you and Rebecca were having that discussion about, you know, how perioperative nursing is perceived by other nurses. And it's just about, you know, how hard is it to hand the instruments to count the swaps? Obviously, so much more than that. It is a very complicated world. You are doing anything from ophthalmics to cardiac to orthopaedics to urology to gynae to obstetrics. Like it's incredibly vast and the instrumentation is vastly different from specialty to specialty. There is an enormous amount of personality management. I think that's the nicest. As I did say to Rebecca, she writes in her bio how she works with colleague and orthopaedic surgeon. And I said to her later, it's not often you hear those two words in the same sentence, colleague <laughs> and orthopaedic surgeon. <laughs> but ultimately that anethers are really different and people are on different pages and it's a really risky world. And, you know, our job is making sure that these patients run the gauntlet of an operating theatre because if anything's going to happen to them, it's going to be while they're with us. I mean, we've got gases and drugs and like we give them brachial plexus injuries and we set them on fire and like it's a really risky world. And so it is a complicated knowledge base. And I loved her byline, you know, now forever I'm going to think perioperative nurse, you know, don't give them what they ask for, give them what they need. Mm. And I'm thinking how to interpret that. You need to know the operation really, really well so that you know, well, you're thinking one step ahead of them of what they're about to do in this surgical procedure. That's why it's so overwhelming for new grads and new perioperative nurses because it's like, you know, working in some sort of bubble, like none of the behaviours that were brought from the outside world into nursing on the inside world are applicable. Like there's sterile fields and how you operate within that and the rules of asepsis and scrubbing, gowning and gloving. Oh, and then by the way, you have to have an intimate knowledge of every operation that you do so that you can give them what they need, what they, not what they ask for, because when it goes wrong, it goes really south. I remember this one time I was scrubbed and the surgeon hadn't written that he needs a specialised piece of equipment because it was in the private hospital. So the surgeon had made the decision who said to his practice nurse, who'd said to the practice receptionist, who then faxed it to the hospital that got put on the bookings. And then by the time it gets to the operating room, then that request had been lost. And so we got to that point where they said, oh, have you got that instrument? No. Nah. Where is it? We don't have one. We have to borrow that from another hospital. So then we sat there with this patient being subjected to this challenge of anaesthetic drugs. It was some 90-year-old bloke who wasn't well enough for a haircut. Oh, so and he was on the table still. He was on the table and the surgeon put out the hand and said, you know, have you got the tendon passer? And I'm like, no. Nah. And he said, I put it on the list, not on our list. And so then we're on the phone on the Gold Coast to oh, Brisbane, to the rep, to say, could you organise it? So we got this little tray which got 
courier down to the Gold Coast, put to CSD. It was sterilised, so then it was brought to us. So this poor 90-year-old bloke had what should have been a two-hour operation turn into a five- or six-hour operation. You've got to know that sort of stuff. I wonder why that nurse will only do the eye list and this nurse only does orthopaedics because I'm thinking, you know, how hard can it be? Mm. But now I know how hard it is because you actually need to know those operations. I've spent, I mean, obviously the first 15 years of my career in the operating theatre and then on and off in the last 10 years. Um, I am really comfortable with orthopaedics, really comfortable with neuro, general vascular. I feel really anxious when I go into an ENT or an eye theatre because I just don't know what I'm doing. And they ask for stuff or there's stuff going on and I can't read the room well enough to feel like I can keep my head above water. I just can't do those. And equally, the eye staff just detest setting foot into an orthopaedic theatre because it's just to the stuff and the equipment and the instruments and the surgery that goes on, it's just they don't do that. And so you feel really vulnerable because something's going to happen and you weren't ready for it and then you're stuck with these patients on an operating table and you it's a, you know, goes to poop pretty quickly. And then you've got the other nursing specialties that are also functioning within that perioperative environment. So you've got the anaesthetic nurse, mm. you've got the recovery nurse, you've got the scout. Mm. Like there, there is, and it's a, it needs to be a well-oiled machine, otherwise stuff happens, bad yeah. stuff happens. And it's very delineated. It's almost like, you know, you're either, I mean, Rebecca had said she's worked in all across all areas and presumably she was referring to not just the specialties, but also she's had got a bit of anaesthetics experience and bit of recovery. Um, I am a rubbish anaesthetic nurse, so I'm just, terrible at it and I didn't touch it with a 40-foot pole. I'm not a bad recovery nurse, um, but really pretty exclusively, I can really only do scrub scout. And it's like there's this little imaginary dotted line in every operating theatre in Australia right at the patient's shoulders where on south of that is scrub scout land and north of that is anaesthetic land. I (laughs) get really nervous up there. I'm like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm back. I'm back in the land of scrub scout. So looking at her role now though, as a nurse practitioner, she's basically functioning, I think Rebecca said herself, as like a private registrar. It's a fascinating expansion of the role. I kind of had a fair idea of what it was, but it was even more vast than I had anticipated. I'm immensely jealous. Wish I'd done it. It look, it sounds amazing and really challenging and great for theatre nurses that have been doing what we've been doing for a long time. It does get a bit boring once you've done your 7,000th total hip replacement. So it's an exciting opportunity that would be amazing. I think she's got you know, more work than she can poke a stick at up there at the moment. In, and that's in regional Victoria. But she's like, she's triage, she's assessment, she does the surgical workup, does the pre-admission clinics, does the post-wound and well-being, as well as being in the theatre with the person. I mean, I think that's a fabulous, you know, it ticks all the accreditation boxes for the patient journey. Mm. What a fabulous patient journey to have this one nurse, you know, specialist nurse who's who's going through the process with you, but a massive knowledge base. Enormous. And I think it's really excellent for the private sector as well, because that sort of one person managing that continuum of care happens in the public sector. And it 
doesn't quite work in the same way in the private sector. I mean, it's hard to compare because, you know, the registrar might see them in outpatients, whereas a consultant sees them in their rooms. And so there's that trajectory. But you've got one person that's doing all of it and giving that extra support in the private sector that can sometimes get a little bit lost in the private sector because having a consultant um, surgeon do some of those roles when they could be consulting and assessing, you know, at that level for which they are designed means that things get a bit lost. So it's a really excellent way of adding even more efficiencies to elective surgery in the private sector, which is what that sector already does so well. And I was really interested in how it was funded. Uh, Initially, when uh, Rebecca was talking, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, she just must be employed as part of that practice. But no, she's an autonomous practitioner that funds herself either as a subcontractor to that surgeon or as a fee-for-service. It's interesting, after we spoke to Leanne Bose last week about, you know, I'd asked that question about how is the, you know, broader nurse practitioner funded, and she alluded to many, many, many ways. And so that was a really interesting dissection of for a perioperative nurse how that works, you know, in that subcontractor role, because it frees up a surgeon and to be doing other things. And so they it enhances the efficiency of the practice. So it makes sense that ultimately they can see more patients and, you know, get more patients on their list and their throughput can be more efficient because they have that registrar role that functions so well in the public sector. And I think an amazing career opportunity um, for a nurse entrepreneur who wants to that level of autonomy and collegial relationship with a surgeon. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think it was amazing. Yeah, because ultimately the surgeons, I know the surgeons, they just want to do the fun bits, which is the operation. You know, they don't really want to do the the rest of it. So there is an enormous gap there that perioperative nurses come with an enormous amount of knowledge about the procedure and anatomically, obviously, and, you know, what that looks like so that they can fulfil that role. Um, and so it's a total win-win. It's isn't that competitiveness that might be seen in other subspecialties. I can't see how it would happen here because you're – it really is such a symbiotic role to that private surgeon. And certainly with Rebecca's work with the ACORN standards, I mean, mm. you know, he can be very confident that, mm. uh, you know, their eyes are dotted and their T's across. But I love the fact that even though she's, you know, horrendously busy, obviously, by the sounds of it, um, even though she is that busy, she's still passionate about uh, the nursing profession in general, but perioperative in particular, and is involved in the research sitting behind those standards so that they're not just going to be, oh, you know, their suggestions. Uh, no, they're not. We've actually mm. now got a body of knowledge to say you need to meet these or you do not comply, you know, with best practice. So it's so true. Your surgeons, like me, um, a part of the component of the world that think policies are more of a guideline and if you don't like them, you know, just skip over the ones that are a bit boring, And which is why theatre nursing in the beginning was very hard for me. I was quickly re-educated. Um, <laughs> and so someone like Rebecca for a surgeon is brilliant because they don't want to think about all of that, you know, secret rulesy business and that's a nurse's heartland. We're excellent at, you know, getting being conservative, 
following policies and procedures, being really regulated, understanding the significance, reducing that risk. So perfect relationship in that way as well. I thought it was um, a miraculous fit for them. She brings a whole new dimension to that practice, I would imagine. Mm. I hope there are heaps of theatre nurses out there that are a bit bored because it does get a bit repetitive, um, that we're thinking, what will I be when I grow up? And I think this is a pretty exciting opportunity. I think it is too. I thought it was amazing. And I really loved it when you said to her, now, you know, what is it? I honestly believed her advice was going to be, you know, like get into perioperatives. It's, you know, just an exceptional career choice. And she sort of floored me a bit when she's she went down the path of, you know what, you've got to look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah, look after yourself because you cannot do that. You can't look after others well if you're, you know, an absolute mess. Mm. And self-care is important. So, Mm -hmm. and we hear that a lot. We hear um, a lot of the people that we speak to, Nick, I think when they get to a part of their career where they've had to put in the hard yards and they know how hard they've worked to get to where they are now, when they reflect back on it, the the thing that comes up more times than not is, you know, you're important, look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think nurses have got so many things that we do brilliantly and this is one of the things that we do. It's a bit crap, really. We don't really look after ourselves that way. I mean, that's why we got into this gig because we truly want to look after people and get them the best they want to be. And sometimes we do that at our own expense, whereas other professions are far statistically less likely to do that. And so there has to be this point that that you go, no, that's it's normal to look after yourself. And I think we need to do that so much more. No, I agree. And so I thought her advice was, was exceptional. And, you know, Mm. the last bit of advice, you know, was like, have some fun. Yes. Like life is short. I know, we spend a long time at work, have fun. And theatre is a place where it's like their little micro-ecosystems in that you can walk into Theatre 4 and it's like a cocktail party and everyone's having a natter and a grand old time and you walk into Theatre 5 and you can cut the tension with a knife. And so it's a strange place. But those theatres that are tense are really, really hard days. And those that are fun, like the it just goes in a nanosecond. So you can feel the difference between culture just by walking from room to room in an operating theatre and how powerful having fun can be. See, from a non-perioperative, that's what I'm going to label us now. You're either mm. a perioperative. It's like a neurotypical. Or, You're yeah. like a neurotypical. <laughs> yes, I'm a, I'm a non-perioperative. So from a non-perioperative point of view, Nick, it's always, you know, the culture from the outside has always been a bit weird because you know, perioperatives sort of walk in the door, give you a nod of, you know, recognition and then go through the swinging doors, mm. um, you know, in, the, in their street clothes and then you never see them again until they, know. they walk out through the swinging doors, give you another nod and go home. And what happens in the intervening hours <laughs> is like, you know, a mystery. It is. I know. We set it up that way, I think. You know, we sort of, it's like this black hole where hundreds of, in a big hospital, hundreds of people walk in and then you never see them and then they, you know, come out the other end of the day. And it is, it's very, um, you know, what goes on behind the flappy doors. That's it. But even uh, taking patients to theatre, like, yeah. you know, you only get in, you know, you don't get in the front, you don't get to the flappy door. You no, go, I you know. You go in the one door and then it's like a Carmelite nun comes out. Send the hate mail to Nick, by the way. 
because <laughs> I wasn't being rude in any way, shape, or form. It's just my it's background. It's such a good description, actually. It is, though, but this, the, you know, the only nun who's allowed to speak to the real world comes out, eyes you up and down, ignores you and talks to the patient, and then you get to leave. And, you know, you're summarily dismissed by the perioperative and the non-perioperative walks out the door, you know, leaving their patient behind and you've got no idea what's bloody happening. Amazing it's such place. a good description. Amazing place. So, um, but, yeah, uh, Rebecca's passion was fabulous. Her knowledge base is obviously exceptional. And I am in awe of the fact that she puts in the extra work because she just wants to see it get better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a fun one. Only because They're all you fun. love it. But, of course, it's, you know, it's my world, so it's even more fun. All right. It's been lovely <laughs> talking to you, sister. See you next time. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium. Make sure you visit us at the website www.nmemporium.com to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to put someone forward for us to interview, go to the same website and just click on the button. See you guys. Take care. Bye.